Hello there. My name is Dr. Matt Glanville and I'm the Director of Assessment at the International Baccalaureate. Welcome to the IB Voices podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the exciting opportunities that digital tools bring to education and in particular, how the IB is moving to bring digital assessment into the DP. Yoon, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Matt. Hi, my name is Yoon Bian. I'm the Head of Digital Assessment Transformation at the International Baccalaureate, and I am happy to join this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much. So to start with, how do you think that digital assessment will benefit students and teachers? That's a great question, Matt. I think one of the one things that it's important to establish, and I hate to get philosophical here, is, you know, what do we mean when we say digital, right? Um, what what are we talking about, really? Because that word in and of itself can be interpreted in so many different ways. Um, so do you mind, like, you know, I hate to throw a question back at you, but I'm actually curious, Matt, like when you think of digital tools, digital assessment, digitization in the classroom, whether in learning and teaching, what does that mean to you? What does that word connote to you? Because that I think will help better contextualize my response. And I anticipate oh. we actually have a very similar viewpoint <laughs> on it. So <laughs> no, that's that's a really great one, because I think what it means is for me is using technology to really support education exactly inevitably means there's got to be a computer or an ipad or some other technical device but it's not Mm -hmm. just using technology for the sake of using technology it's about using technology to enhance that experience being able to use technology to have maybe images moving images the way we can't on a piece of paper or allowing a student to express themselves through a more interactive type of questioning. So that's that's yeah. what it means for me. It means stepping up from the old paper-based, very linear, very flat ways of both classrooms and assessing into the, the future of what's excitable and what's possible. And you know what, what I'm going to say is the reason why I threw that question back to you or I wanted to establish that first was because when I think about what you just asked, how are digital examinations going to benefit students and educators in the classroom? uh, It's a lot more fundamental to me than all of the exciting opportunities and certainly all the ways that technology can promote engagement. But I think there's something a little bit more fundamental to it, right? Because we are in a day and age where a lot of our students are what we deem digital natives, right? Um, And meaning that the way in which human beings navigate with digital devices, technology is more or less autonomic. It's part of what we are Um, very familiar with. And so for me, the most fundamental benefit of having digital examinations is that it is a natural byproduct or it uh, helps the continuity of what is being done in learning and teaching, right? So whatever tools or digital tools that are being used in instruction, right? The natural extension of that would be to have digital assessment, right? We want to be very um, continuous in how we teach and how we assess. And so it's very natural to me, ironically enough, it's very natural to have um, digital exams be in the digital mode because that will allow students and educators to assess and be assessed in a mode in which 
makes the most sense to them, is the most natural or um, that they're most familiar with, right? Especially if it is being used as we understand it to be used in the classroom in everyday life, um, as opposed to uh, putting students who are going through all this learning and teaching with different technological tools and then sitting them down with a pen and paper and asking them to write an essay, right? It's very different from what they're probably doing on an everyday, day-to-day -day basis, whether at home or um, in the classroom with the different devices that they're utilizing. So I would say that's the most fundamental benefit is that it's there's continuity in learning and teaching and also it allows students to be assessed in the mode that they're learning. I think that's the biggest benefit. I can absolutely relate to that. When my children were a little bit younger, they were deeply disappointed that the, t the TV wouldn't move when they flicked their finger across it. And right. They live on these devices much as I try to encourage them to go outside and get some fresh air. And it's the well, way they engage. It's incredible. And can I just add to that just my own anecdote? My five-year-old niece, without any guidance whatsoever from her parents, figured out how to FaceTime me. And this girl doesn't even know how to read yet right but she knows how to navigate a smartphone or an ipad to facetime her aunt and it's just incredible you know i i can't explain it i would love to understand the science behind how we've you know become digital natives but that's just the day and age we live in right now i would say and more and more i'm observing that not just through a small sample size but across the board and whilst i agree with you wholeheartedly that the, these students are digital natives i'm not sure that all the teachers are going to be mm. digital natives so if i was still back in the classroom i might mm. be a bit frightened and nervous about this introduction so oh, absolutely. what we can say to the teachers to reassure them that they will be able to cope with this move yeah that's a great question now what i can speak from the perspective is from ib right lens and how we are approaching the digitization of our specifically currently our dp and cp external examinations um, we understand that this is a significant transition especially for the educators or the administrators that are at the helm of driving this change what we can assure from the ib end is that there will be a lot of resources and tools a lot of outreach, um, ensuring that schools, specifically educators and um, administrators feel equipped and ready, prepared to administer digital assessments. I mean, the IB's got a good few years experience of delivering mm -hmm. exams in the middle years program. So we've experienced a lot of the, the challenges and we know the kind of difficulties um, schools will face. In terms of moving on to the, the DP framework, what extra um, investigations have we done? How do we know what schools will be facing that we're ready for that? Yeah, you know, we're taking a very incremental phased approach and part of what we've done in the past two couple years alone is conduct a usability pilot. And we did that with 15 schools across the various IB regions, global regions that we serve. Um, and we very much aimed to utilize a sample size that was as much as possible indicative of our IB World School population. Um, what we did was we looked at the usability of these digital exam platforms across those different types of schools with diverse needs. And we were able to really unpack some of the key pain points you know, we made it as agnostic to a specific platform as possible. And by doing that, and to do that, we utilized three different platforms so as to not make any conclusions on just one specific platform. So we wanted to look at the general pain points from an administration lens or um, an educator lens and from a student lens and also, you know, from our end, a creation lens. So we were very methodical and thoughtful about 
conducting this usability pilot to indeed investigate the usability of it. The other component of what we're doing is we have a whole school readiness and support work stream within the IB um, that is committed to working with our schools to ensure that there is school readiness. So that school readiness is there for digital exams. And so most recently we administered a survey across for all the DPCP schools to get a general understanding of technological infrastructure at each of the schools, um, overall school willingness to participate in digital exams in certain time increments. Um, and we really want to appreciate and understand those nuances and make sure that we're putting together tools and resources that are going to be beneficial and helpful to all schools that are getting ready for this transition. That sounds great. Again, from my perspective, one of the important elements about that careful transition is that we will have both paper exams and digital exams running right. in parallel. So we're not Absolutely. making schools change on day one. Exactly. Schools will be able to adapt in their own way. Uh, now, as you know, the big challenge that it gives to me is how I manage that comparability between oh, yes. the paper exam and the digital exam. So I'm I'm pleased we've agreed that we're going to be having the same questions on both sets of exams. I love that you pointed that out, Matt, because right now what we're specifically talking about are the DPCP external examinations. But, you know, that that was a good reminder and something that I wanted to mention in this episode of the podcast is that when we think about assessment, right, it's a little bit more or a lot bit more, I would say, holistic than specifically the DP and CP examinations. Right. So here at the IB, um, we're thinking of digital assessment transformation holistically, right? And part of it is first transitioning um, our DPCP exams to digital format, that's step one. And it's a very tactical, a very specific first step. But I love that you alluded to the fact that, you know, this is the step that's going to take us along in a longer journey, right, to just overall digital transformation of our assessments and the different kinds of opportunities um, that we're looking towards that may be more, a little bit more excitable or exciting, you know, and then it's not just specific to the digitization of paper DP exams to digital format, but our thought process and our journey goes far beyond that. But this is the first tactical step for us to mm. move towards that direction. Absolutely. And I know that we've been working with stakeholders and schools to start investigating what some of those other digital tools mm. might look like um, in the classroom, whether it's saying, yes, here's the um, range of practice tools. I'll ask you a question about that in just a second. But mm -hmm. also, what, where, where is the technology going? Where's the opportunities? How yeah. are people using technology in their everyday lives? So we're preparing the scientists yeah. for the future. What does yeah. a physical look like? What does a chemist in a big multinational pharmaceutical company use the computer for so we exactly. can be, have that level of authenticity? But again, being that worried teacher, how are they going to know what the exam's going to look like? Are we mm. just going to give it to them and say, there we, there we go, it's a May exam, it's a November exam, sit down, there we go. What mm -hmm. support are we giving them on that sort of exam prep side? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. I know that internally what we're preparing to do is ensuring that we uh, rope in educators specifically or school voices, school perspective in regards to ensuring that the way that we're designing our digital exams is comparable. So that's part of our production preparation process. What I will say is also we are going to make available tools um, to schools ahead of the exam session. So you're not just sitting your students down come, you know, May or November and it's a surprise for everyone. But we are very much going to create familiarization tools, um, digital exams that can be utilized as mock exams. So you can simulate an entire exam session um, for these schools in advance of those sessions. So as you would prepare your students for the paper-based exams, we'll have more than adequate, I would say, actually, tools for students, educators to be acclimated with the systems such that we ensure that it's not an impediment once you actually sit down to take the exams or administer the exams. So in that way, we are very much preparing those types of tools, um, familiarization tools for our schools um, and students. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the, the look on some of our teachers' faces when they start playing around with some of the the mm -hmm. familiarization stuff they got and start realizing the potential. I suspect I'll have a lot of teachers and students chomping at the bit to sort of move on to the next level. Oh, absolutely. Now, universities. I mm -hmm. know our students need a lot of the grades that we provide them to go into universities. How are they feeling about this transformation? How's the IB engaged with universities so far? We are very much early in this transition. It's very important to us that we listen to our stakeholders, um, and we have many of them, and we account for their perspectives and their opinions as we move along in this journey. So we are very much planning to reach out and engage with various universities to ensure that if there are any concerns or there are any queries about what we're doing here, that it is very transparent um, and that we are also ensuring that uh, we are maintaining the quality and validity of our assessments because that's integral to all of this, right, is that we're maintaining that quality of, you know, our assessments, which IB is very much known for, um, even in this transition to digital format for DPCP, that we're maintaining that. Absolutely. And again, every conversation I've had with universities, I've been really stressing this is the same IB assessments, it's mm -hmm. the same IB education. Exactly. It's just doing it in a way that our digital native students understand. It's no longer making them sit down and write for an hour with a pen when they've not done that in two and a half years. And universities are, are pleased by that. They recognise and they trust that it will it'll mean exactly the same for them in making their decisions. And you know what, to add to that, the overwhelming common response from the students in the usability pilot was it was such a relief to be able to type things out and not have to utilize a pen and paper for their responses and the students overwhelmingly um, appreciated that the mode in which they were being assessed in that small pilot was more reflective of how they actually do coursework or homework um, and provide that in. And so, yeah, without a doubt, they are very much anticipating and ready for this change. I, I know I've been involved in some of the discussions around making sure that the, the access, the inclusion elements that we offer mm. in the paper-based are carried forward. And indeed, there's so much more we can do because we can mm -hmm. empower the student to choose their own font size and choose their own color. We don't mm. need to fit them different. 
But the, the big challenge I think that a lot of people see is how do we make sure that students who maybe don't have the same opportunities and access to technology aren't disadvantaged? Are we worried about parts of the world where the exams lose internet connection partway through? How are we managing mm-hmm. those kind of risks? We're very much cognizant of offline capabilities that might be necessary in places where internet infrastructure isn't as strong, right? And so a lot of that went to the solution that we are seeking and ensuring that the platform in and of itself would be operable under um, different circumstances. And so, you know, without getting into much too much technical detail that certainly goes into the realm of our thinking in regard in general, right? So when we talk about generally the platform and it being administered to different regions throughout the globe, um, certainly that goes into, that has gotten into a very important part of our thinking and our process. Um, What I will say from an access and inclusion perspective as it pertains to, you know, students and their ability to access these platforms, one of the very exciting things about moving to digital format for these exams is that it really does open up so many more tools and resources um, that students can utilize such that, you know, I would say that there are experience with the exams or the assessment, their ability to really provide responses um, that are more indicative of, you know, what they want to convey. Um, Those tools and resources will help students with a lot of different needs and create more, I guess, the word I'm looking for is equity across different students that have different needs and different modes of learning, right? So I'm very much excited about that component of the transition. Um, There's just going to be inevitably a lot more um, tools that are available in a digital platform than there would be in our just current paper-based world. Um, So that's a very exciting part of the transition, I would say. So, you know, if you think of it from an internet perspective or like thinking about, oh, will we ensure that this platform is operable across our different IV world schools um, with different network capacities? Absolutely. That's absolutely a goal. We do not intend to um, disadvantage any type of school just by way of choosing a specific platform. So certainly that is part of our thinking process and certainly something we'll have to continue to investigate as we go throughout this transition. Then a lot of how these platforms are designed is through the lens of universal design, right? So to make sure that um, they are universally accessible to all types of students and all types of uh, students with different needs. So that's one of the more exciting things about this transition. I mean, absolutely. One of the challenges with the paper exams is that if you need somebody to read the text, the questions out to you, Mm. you have to get a human being to stand next to you and read you it. And we don't want that. Again, in the modern office, the computer can read to you as you need to. The computer can be adjusted so that the eyesight works. The computer's so much more flexible. It empowers the student to take ownership of their own educational experience. And that, I think, is is critical, not just in the exam context, but also going back into the classroom. Thank you for drawing those specific examples, because I think that's helpful for our listeners, is that there are tools like Zooming In, for example, that are not readily available on paper, right, um, with for students that may be, you know, dealing with visual impairments. There are things like color contrast, right, for, again, tied to more visual um, 
impairments or things that students may need. Um, there's also like a line reader for people who can that will help focus in on, you know, a part of a passage that the student needs to focus on. So all these tools, right, are going to be great to utilize in the digital space that aren't, again, currently readily or easily accessible in the paper-based world. So I'm really excited about this. Now, you, you've inspired me to want to go there. How do I get involved? <laughs> What's the process? How quickly could I do this? Ooh, that's a great question. So if you're in a school, are you asking from a school perspective? Of course I am. <laughs> I'm assuming that's the majority of our listeners here. Um, that's a great question, Matt. So I alluded to this earlier, but we did we did deploy a survey, a digital readiness survey to all of our DPCP schools. And that survey, I know, you know, it's never someone's, you know, first thing that they're eager to chomp at the bit to fill out a survey. <laughs> I, know, I can't think of someone. <laughs> Well, the data nerd in me does love surveys, Matt, but I don't know how many people think think in that lens. But um, what I will say is that if you're a school listening to this, specifically a DPCP school, what, what, wherever you are in the authorization process as well, school authorization process, but if you are a potential DPCP school, I would really, really encourage or actually ask to please do complete that digital assessment readiness survey because what it does for us at the IB is it really helps us understand what we need to understand. And that's one of the mechanisms by which we will be able to understand the different potential pain points that some schools may have as it pertains to um, rolling our digital exams out. And that is what will help us then target our outreach and help us uh, formulate the tools and resources that we uh, believe the schools all need. So first step, if you're a school and you're looking to get involved is complete that survey because that is how we're going to be able to identify and really formulate a plan that is comprehensive and robust, right, and accounts for the different schools that we have in the globe. Now, um, what we are working towards is developing a small set of digital exams to release in the near future. Um, <laughs> and so we are going to start off small and it'll be very much voluntary. Um, and we will be specifically recruiting for um, schools to participate in that digital exam session. If you're going to ask me the date right now or the session that we're targeting, I'm not going to go there quite yet. Although you will see, if you're a school, you will see communication very much in the near future regarding the session. To that end, we will be, based on the surveys, responses we receive, we will be reaching out to different schools to see if there is interest in participating in that particular digital exam session again in the very near future. So we'll be doing various different trials, different studies, uh, research studies that we will be conducting to inform this overall transition. So I would say step one is if you're eager to get involved, step one, complete that survey because it will help us identify, you know, which schools are interested in really helping the IB and partnering with the IB throughout this transition. And step two is to be on the lookout for communication regarding um, different opportunities, whether it's a trial, whether it's a study, or whether it's the digital, the first digital exam session we're planning to deploy or release to be involved in that regard. And we have a very strong team internally, a school readiness and support team that's very eager to work with IIB World Schools around that. So yeah, I no, guess I those would be my tips. Yeah, it makes really, sen really sensible. We've got to be starting small so we know the impact and yep. we can't make that there. But can you give us a little hint of which subjects you think are going to be coming first? So I, I think where we're starting off is we're starting off with the large 
literature subjects because they're the ones yeah. that are the closest to a normal experience for the student. They they type that all the time anyway. And then we're mm -hmm. gradually moving through the humanities and societies in group three exactly. and then finishing off with the sciences and maths where we think there's going to be the most change required for schools and students to get used to how you do these subjects digitally. Language acquisition as well is a reasonably early one because yeah. first of all that gives us the chance to say it gives students how to type and then we can have the orals and things embedded in the uh, assessment tools which would be oh, just yeah. wonderful and I'm really looking forward to that. Oh yeah, that's what that was the other thing that schools are very excited about was the listening exams and not having to figure out the whole audio component of that external other systems, but it'll be embedded in the systems and administrators don't have to worry about that anymore. So it's fantastic. Absolutely. And another example of where we can actually represent the way the world works rather yep. than having a laptop for the entire class at the front of the hall. One of the things time excited about as well is the benefits it gives us internally now we are mm. we're going to stick with human markers There's, that's not part of any change here it's about mm. the students using the digital we will use the same approach we've taken but what it does allow us to do is start thinking about when we could do things faster we no longer need to send paper around the world so that's a huge environmental mm. saving as well as well as a time saving um, mm -hmm. It's just so much more economic and sustainable to be bringing mm. this forward. I think that'll really make a, a difference to some of our other wider commitments. Technology is changing. I know this time a year ago, we were nervously talking about how artificial intelligence might be part of the education environment and a year later it's mm. completely embedded. <laughs> Given the rapid technological environment and the way it's changing, where do you see the future of tech and education going and how should the IB keep up with that? Oh, I love that question. Um, yeah, you, I think we can get very philosophical about it, right, Matt? Um, especially because you, you use that hot word AI, <laughs> artificial intelligence. Wow, that opens a whole realm. What I will say is that there's, I would say that, you know, technology and education are deeply interwoven at this point, and that's only going to continue to progress and to the point where, you know, they're no longer, there's no longer the, the sense of, or dissonance or any type of dissonance between technology and education. Now, this is my personal viewpoint and just what I've observed throughout the years. We talked a little bit about kids these days being digital natives or kids born into this generation being digital natives. And I think that is a huge testament to kind of the shifting paradigm of how education and technology are fusing. In the recent years, right, we've seen a big just boost in, you know, in terms of the job marketplace, right, around data science, right, whereas that was not necessarily a huge sector or industry, you know, even maybe 10 years ago, a decade ago, well, 20 years ago. Um, so I think we will see more of those job opportunities around, you know, as we see things become more automated, right, things become more digitized and AI coming into play, inevitably, a lot of the functions that can be automated will be automated. And so what that means is that students are going to have to navigate a world and think through a lens that is different than 
you know, the generation that you and I have grown up in, where it's different skill sets are taught, right? Students need to be able to detect patterns and think critically about those patterns, because the reality is a lot of those patterns can be automated and guessed through algorithms now. Um, and so as we look forward to the new job market and the job market that a lot of our um, students are will be looking at, it's a whole new world that has been afforded by the fusion of technology and education together. So I see IB, honestly, you know, even you know our history, I would say we're ahead of our time, I would say in terms of thinking about the IB learner profile and we're thinking of the foundation of, you know, and our philosophy around education. I see that pairing very nicely with the trends and how um, our world is inevitably going to evolve because I think the principles that underpin IB is, really transient and it goes across any type of um, day and age, but it, it gets to the heart of who we are as human beings and how we function as human beings. And so what I think will happen in the future for to project is that there's more a focus on how we deal with the data and biometrics of all the data that we are so um, readily able to consume, right? Because we have more information more easily than any than we have ever, right? And it can be a lot, but navigating the use of that, doing it in an ethical manner, I think that's what we're really um, up against in the coming years, impending years. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves again in the near future. But a lot of it will be just go, going through and understanding data and making sure it paints a narrative um, in an ethical manner. <laughs> I, I, I love that answer because it gets to the heart of actually will use technology to answer the educational needs of students oh, it's not about absolutely. using technology for its own sake it's about yeah. saying yeah there will be so much more big data out there how yeah. then what what ethically does it mean to use big data how do we avoid some of the prejudice some of the biases training yeah. data on the wrong thing so right. that particular groups get disadvantaged and students need to be aware of that. Also, the sort of hyperconnectivity around yeah. the world. I can. I love I can... that word, hyperconnectivity. It is just that, right, Matt? Because I think at least in the generation that I grew up in, it was still very much linear, right? Our thought process around education is very linear. You start and then you end, and then there's a culmination. You get assessed on everything that you learned throughout that school year. And there was very linear in methodology. But to what we just discussed is that there's this hyperconnectivity. Data is so readily available faster than we've ever been able to experience before. So what can we do with that? How can we use that to foster better teaching, better instruction, better learning, you know? And assessment is no longer this end of your tell me everything you learn type of thing, but it's just this real time learn as you go, right? And understand what works, what doesn't work, and being able to adjust, becoming agile in that. It's going to be huge in the futures, how we move, yeah, throughout that space. I mean, you, you've hit one of my really favorite topics, which is yeah. when do we assess students? Do we let yep. them learn and fail or do we not? But mm. again, that only applies to summative assessment. Yep. In the formative space, absolutely. We let mm -hmm. the student maybe even assess themselves during the mm -hmm. course so they are, they take more control over their learning and their mm -hmm. understanding i think that's that's where the technology comes in the most mm -hmm. it helps students overcome some of the things that at the moment are hard mm -hmm. for them to do 
and mm -hmm. with it, it it'll really give them the chance and mm -hmm. indeed the way you've got information and evidence now at your fingertips mm -hmm. and increasingly being explained in the way I think the future classroom probably yeah. is going to look like the current one but <laughs> we're still going to need those teachers to mentor people in learning oh, yeah. and that's that's not going to change it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure talking with you thank you so much for taking the time and also thank you very much to the audience for listening to this i hope you had a good time and enjoyed it i did thank you for inviting me matt i had a fantastic time and thank you all for listening in thank you all for listening to this ib voices podcast Join us next time for more insights from our students, teachers, educators, and more. Thank you.